Ephesians chapter 1. We began a study of uh, the book of Ephesians a few weeks back, and we are studying that first section of Ephesians where Paul discusses our wealth as believers in Jesus Christ. You remember that Ephesians can be broken up into three parts, our wealth, our walk, and our warfare, and we're, we're looking at our wealth, the enormous wealth that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, wealth spiritually, not monetarily, but wealth spiritually beyond anything we could ask for or dream up. And this wealth is described for us generally in verse 3, where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Then Paul goes on to describe these blessings, that is our wealth, specifically in verses 4 through 13. And and we looked at verses 4 through 6 last week, those blessings that originate from the Father. And this morning we want to look at those blessings that originate from the Son. And next week we're going to look at the blessings that originate from the Spirit. And so each person of the Trinity has a hand in these blessings because these things were planned by the Father as we talked about predestination last week. They were planned by the Father. They were purchased by the Son, as we'll see this morning. And then they are preserved by the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, as we look at these blessings, the wealth that we have from the Son, I want us to notice four things. Four things in our text, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. First of all, we see that He has redeemed us. Then we see that He has forgiven us. We'll also see that He has revealed God's will to us. And then finally, that He has given us of His inheritance. And so the first thing, He has redeemed us, found there in verse 7. It says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. And so the first blessing from the Son, the first blessing that we want to look at this morning is this idea of redemption. Now, Redemption speaks of being freed from slavery. And the Roman Empire, this, this area that Ephesus would have been found in, the Roman Empire had as many as six million Jews. So these people were very familiar with slavery. It was a way of life. It was a major part of their economy. It was something that was not looked down upon. It was just a part of their society. Six million Jews. They were very familiar with being in bondage. They were born into that slavery. Those who were slaves were born into that. They didn't have a choice. And so too we are born into a different kind of slavery, but slavery nonetheless, that is slavery to our flesh, slavery to sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, you've probably heard people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian, you know, because then I won't have my freedom. I want to have my freedom. The thing is, is that as an unbeliever, as someone who has never committed your life to Christ, you're not free. You're in bondage. You're in bondage to your flesh. You have no choice but to give in to the things of the flesh. But as believers, we have the option to sin or not to sin, to obey God or to obey our flesh. And so this bondage is something that that we're familiar with. But redemption 
Redemption is that freeing from bondage. It's the means of salvation. There, it speaks of a payment. The payment of a ransom. In 1 Peter chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, but Peter explains this very well for us. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, Peter says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so the word redemption, it comes from the word agora, which was the slave market. There would be this huge market and they would bring the slaves and they would sell them in this market. And when you would buy a slave out of the market, it would the term that would be used is ex agarazo, to be purchased out of the slave market of sin. To be purchased out of. And that is what Jesus has done for us. He's purchased us out of the slave market. We were in slavery. We were in bondage to sin. But through the blood of Christ, as it says here, in Him we have redemption through His blood, which speaks of His death. By His death, we were, we were freed from the slavery of sin. In the Old Testament, we have an awesome picture of that in the story of, of Ruth. In the story of Ruth, Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer. He redeems her. He purchases her. And if you read that book, you see a great picture of Christ as Boaz became the purchaser of Ruth. He bought her so that he could free her from, in a sense, the slavery that she had to, to poverty and, and to all the things that would have come with that because she had no husband. She had no family. And, and so Boaz became her kinsman. And the Bible tells us that we were bought at a price. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7 tell us that. That we were bought at a price. The price was His blood. Jesus paid the price to release us from slavery. You see, there was a ransom that had to be paid. It, there was a price that had to be paid to release us from slavery. And there's a great illustration, I think, of redemption and and it's this little boy, and he builds this boat, and he's so proud of this boat, and he constructs this boat, and he takes it down to the, the local lake. And he, he has it there, and he's you know playing with his boat, and it's a little sailboat, and, and all of a sudden, a, a large gust of wind takes his boat out into the middle of the lake, and it's lost. And so now he's totally bummed, and he can't find his boat, and a week or so goes by, and, and he's walking downtown in his little town, and and, and there he sees in the window of the thrift store his boat. And somebody had obviously found it and, and sold it to this thrift store owner. And so he goes in and, and he excitedly says, Look, that boat in your window, that's mine. I, I made it. And, and I was playing with it down there at the lake and the wind took it. And the, and the owner of the store said, Well, son, I, I believe your story, but you see, I, I bought the boat. And so, you know, I have money out and now it has to be purchased back from me and so the little boy takes of his allowance money and he pays for that boat and he buys it back and and now that boat is twice his because not only did he build it but he bought it and so to us Jesus created us but then we were lost in 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 sin we were lost in the things of this world but Jesus found us and he paid the price and he bought us back that's redemption that Jesus bought us out of 
slavery. And if you have not allowed Him to purchase you out of the slave market of sin, you can do that this morning by simply trusting in His shed blood on your behalf that He took your sin upon Himself. A second blessing that we see that comes from the Son is that He has forgiven us. He says there at the end of verse 7, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Forgiveness is the primary result of redemption. Forgiveness is mankind's greatest need. It's a central theme of the Bible. It's the legal act whereby God removes the charges that were held against us. Just like when you commit a crime, and hopefully you don't do that regularly, but you know, just like when you commit a crime and you stand before the judge and there's a charge held against you, and the judge then has the capability of either holding you accountable for that charge or releasing you from that charge, and we can understand that. Well, there was a charge held against us, and God couldn't just simply say, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, hey, look, you made a mistake. You know, I understand. Let's just sweep it under the rug. That's how some people perceive God, like He's a cosmic sugar daddy that just sort of, you know, takes us up on His lap like Grandpa and says, ah, don't worry about it. I know your mom's ticked off right now, but don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. You know, we won't tell her about that, you know. That isn't how God works. God has to, because of His holiness, pay the price for sin. And so instead of charging us with it, He placed it upon His Son. And so that's forgiveness. Jesus cried from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus could have just as easily said from the cross, Father, condemn them, because they're a bunch of rebels. But he said, Father, forgive them. The word forgiveness, it literally means to let go or to send away. And Paul emphasizes that our sins have been sent away. That's what he's speaking of. Because of the riches of God's grace. And notice that it's according to the riches of God's grace, not from the riches of God's grace. And there's a big difference. Because if a wealthy person gives from his riches, that means they, you know, give you maybe 10 bucks, 100 bucks. But if a wealthy person gives you according to his riches, that means they give you a large sum. And Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave his entire life. He stepped out of heaven. He took on human flesh and he took our sins. The Bible says that He who knew no sin was made to be sin with our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He took our sin. He gave us His righteousness. And there's a beautiful illustration of this in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 16, as God is giving Moses the instructions for the Day of Atonement, that would be the day in which they would receive forgiveness for their sin. They would offer sacrifice for their sin and they still celebrate it to this day Yom Kippur and yet there's no temple and so they just sort of get alone and they contemplate their sin and they feel guilty about it and they hope that they're forgiven but there's no way to sacrifice there's no blood to cover their sin and because they deny Jesus they're still caught up in their sin but on this day on this day of atonement the high priest who was Aaron at at least initially, would choose two goats. He would choose two goats and one goat would be slaughtered and then would be burned on the altar as a sacrifice for sin. 
Then the other goat would be taken out to the wilderness where Aaron would place both of his hands upon the head of that goat and he would confess his sin and the sin of the people over that goat, thereby transferring the guilt of their sin upon the goat. And then they would release that goat out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And that goat would, of course, be called the scapegoat. And we get our term scapegoat from that. But that, that guilt, that sin would be transferred to that goat and it would be sin away, never to be seen again. And that's what God has done with our sin. Our sin has been placed upon Jesus, never to be brought up again. In fact, the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And that sounds kind of cool, but it's really cool in the sense that you can measure the distance from north to south. There's a measurable distance. And you can start at the North Pole, not that anybody would ever want to go there, but you could start at the North Pole and you could travel all the way down the globe and you could get to the South Pole and then you would begin to head north. You could head south and then there would be a point where you would head north. But with traveling east or west, if you begin to travel east from here, you could go all the way around the globe and then get back here and just continue to head east forever or vice versa if you went west. There's no measurable distance between the east and the west. And that's why God specifically said He's thrown our sins. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Micah the prophet said that God cast our sin into the depths of the sea. And the Jewish people were deathly afraid of the ocean. That's why the disciples, when you see them out on the water, they get all freaked out. Because Jesus was always having them like go all the way across the lake. And they weren't used to that. They would just kind of stay close to the beach, typically. When you go to Israel, you'll see the boats, and they're like a hundred yards out. That's about as far as they like to be. But when the prophet said that God has cast their sins into the depths of the sea, in their mind that would mean never to be brought back again. You don't dive in the ocean. You don't go down there and find them. That's why it specifically says that. And all of these passages reveal to us that our sins have been sent away, never to be brought up again. At the Last Supper, you remember Jesus held up the cup and He said, this is the new covenant in My blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so He has forgiven us. And I hope that, that you understand that you're forgiven. I hope that you understand that no matter what you've done, no matter how badly you've blown it, there's forgiveness for you, I'm not typically one to read poetry or Shakespeare or things of that nature, but in Shakespeare's King Richard III, the king laments, My conscience hath a thousand several tongues, and every tongue brings in a several tale, and every tale condemns me for a villain. And maybe that's how you feel, like a villain. Maybe you feel guilty, maybe you feel condemned. And as believers, the Spirit will convict us. And the Spirit uses conviction to drive us to Christ. And as unbelievers, the Spirit will convict us to do just that, to drive us to Christ. But if you're feeling condemnation, what condemnation does is it drives you away from Christ. In John chapter 8, you remember the story of the woman caught in adultery. And she was brought to Jesus and, and they all had stones and they were ready to stone her. But then one by one, they began to leave as Jesus began riding there in the dirt. And the woman looked up and she saw 
that all of the accusers were gone. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that's what Jesus says to us. Neither do I condemn you. I took your guilt and I forgave you. Romans 8 verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you feel condemned over your sin and it's driving you away from Christ, know that's from the enemy. But maybe this morning you feel convicted about your sin and you know that you need to deal with it. And the Bible says what you should do. It says confess. 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins. And He is faithful and just to cleanse you. And that's what God wants to do for us this morning. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to forgive us. He wants us to be aware of that forgiveness. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And as we understand that, as we understand that we've been redeemed, that we've been bought with a price, we understand that our life is not our own, and as we understand that we've been forgiven, it ought to do something in our life. It ought to enable us to forgive others. Because we do not have the right to hold things against people when Jesus has forgiven us so much. And so that's another application for us out of forgiveness is that maybe there's things that you're holding against others. And Jesus said, if you don't forgive people that have offended you, your Father in Heaven will not be able to forgive you. And so if there's bitterness in your heart, if there's unforgiveness in your life, you need to to deal with that this morning. A third thing that we notice in our text is found in verses 8 through 10, and that is he, He has revealed God's will to us. How often do people say, man, I wish I could just know God's will. I wish I just knew what God wanted. It's a big thing, right? Books have been written about it. Teachings, seminars, counselors to help you to understand the will of God. What is God's purpose for my life, right? Well, here we're told that we've been given wisdom, that we've been given insight, that it's one of the blessings that Jesus gives us. Look at verse 8. Which He made to abound toward us, speaking of the riches of His grace in all wisdom and prudence, or that word prudence could be insight, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. And so, He has revealed God's will to us, and first of all, He tells us that it's through wisdom. Verse 8, He is made to abound toward us in all wisdom. Now wisdom, this this word translated wisdom here, it speaks of the understanding of ultimate things. That is important things. Things of life and death and sin and salvation, the existence of God and so on. He's given us wisdom. And how often do people just sort of ponder these things and and yet they they have no answers, right? Life, where did I come from? Death, where am I going? The existence of God, is there a creator? What about sin? Is there really a right and a wrong? And and, and what about salvation? Who is, is Jesus the only way? And people ponder these things and yet through Christ we've been given wisdom. He he unlocks the mystery of of all of these questions for us. But we've also been given insight. And this word insight or prudence speaks of practical understanding. 
the comprehension of needs and problems in the affairs of everyday life. I think that sometimes we, we get the specific will of God and the general will of God mixed up. We, we kind of get the whole thing convoluted. And people will sit down with me and they'll ask me, well, do you think you know, I should do this or should I make this decision or should I you know, get involved in this investment? And the thing is, you guys, is that what God is really concerned with is His general will. And it's that thing that He has made very clear to us in His Word. It's the same for all of us. It's black and white. There's no question. You don't really need to pray about it. It's the will of God for you. And, and, and there's many things that we know of. And basically Jesus summed it up and He said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And when you do that, when you're loving God with all of your heart and you're aligning yourself with His will in a general sense, those things that He's made very clear to us, then His specific will just sort of falls into place. And it just sort of cracks me up when people will sit down with me and they'll say, man, you know, do you think I ought to you know, make this investment? Or do you think I should you know, go on this mission trip? Or do you think I should marry this person? Or whatever. And then you find out that there's major sin in their life. And it's like, look, bro, you've got to take care of this first. Or you're not going to know, you know anything. I, I had something I was going to say, but then I figured that was inappropriate. You're not going to know heads from tails. You're not going to know anything until you get this right. You can't be doing this major sin that you're involved with and then you know, kind of ponder, well, you know, should I buy this new car? God doesn't care if you buy the new car. Repent of this sin that you're involved with and then go buy whatever car you want to buy. Repent of this this major issue in your life and then go get whatever job you want to go get or go to whatever school or marry you know any believer that you'd like to marry. And, and so you see, when, when we get the general will of God lined up, the specific will of God falls into place. I think Augustine put it great when he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and then do whatever you want. And I think that lines up with Psalm 37, verse 4, that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, when we're delighting ourselves in Him, the desires we have will be His desires. It won't be like this trippy, weird thing that we try to figure out. He's given us wisdom. He's given us insight. But we've got to have ourselves aligned in the major things. See, we get things all messed up, and we start majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors and we got to get that right we got to figure out okay lord what is important to you and then everything else will just fall into place and so he's revealed his will to us and i love romans chapter 12 where paul talks about offering your life as a living sacrifice it's one of my favorite passages and he says i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god in light of all that Jesus has done for us. In light of all the things that he's talked about for 11 chapters, I beseech you that you present your bodies, I beg you, that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's not like a big deal. It's not something to, you know, uh, have a hot air balloon going across with a banner, you know, that says, I've offered my life a living sacrifice, like, Woo, I'm so great. I'm so awesome. You know, I, I serve the Lord. Well, big deal. Look what He did for you. 
It's a reasonable service. You know, people will, will sometimes almost like boast that they love God. That isn't a, a big deal. The big deal is that God loves us. The fact that we love Him is like a no-brainer, you know. I mean, it, it's kind of like my two-year-old son. He loves his mom to death. Now, me, it's still undetermined whether he could, you know, really care less about me right now. But he loves his mom to death. You know why? Because she feeds him. She changes his diaper. It's kind of a no-brainer, right? It's kind of like he, he knows that this is the woman that provides. You know, she is the one that has always been here for me. And that's the same with God. He's always there for us. He, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He gave us His Son. He loved us first. And so we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's our reasonable act of worship or our reasonable service. And then He says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, listen to this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you want to prove what the will of God is in your life? Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. His will will become very clear to you. If it's convoluted, if it's cloudy, if things are hazy, if you have trouble ascertaining what God wants you to do, it's because there's a disconnect somewhere in the general will of God in your life. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And and I think that also should free you up. If you are living for Him and there's decisions looming in your life right now, you know what? Just make a decision. Just choose. Go with what the peaceful thing is. Go with that thing that makes sense and God's going to bless you. God is not holding His will above you like a, you know, a ball of yarn in, with a cat. You know, he, he doesn't work that way with us. He just wants us to live for Him and then we walk our lives out on a daily basis and His will becomes a reality. And so He's revealed... His will to us, the third blessing. And the fourth thing, verses 11 and 12, He has given us of His inheritance. He says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Peter says that we've been given an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And it's kind of sad when, when uh, you know, kids start, you know, kind of wanting their mom and dad to croak, you know, so they can get the stuff. It's always kind of morbid and sad. It's also sad when, when people fight, like, you know, after somebody's died, and, you know, no, that's mine, no, it's mine, she said I could have it, you know, and people are, like, fighting, you know, and meanwhile, mom and dad aren't even in the ground yet. You know, and, and there's just fighting going on. It's kind of like, just keep it, you know. The stupid rocking chair, it can go to Uncle Joe, you know. And, and even the money, I mean, big deal. And we make such a big deal about our inheritance and the, the things that we have in this life. And you know what? It's nothing. It's all going to perish. It's all going to fade away. It's all going to rot. But we have an inheritance in heaven that is incorruptible, that's undefiled, that does not fade away, that's reserved for us, which ought to change our focus in this life. You know, we typically focus on our priorities, right? And if you're a businessman, you've got to focus on those customers that bring in the bacon, right? 
the, the customers that just sort of are there once in a while, I mean, yeah, you've got you to be there for them, but I mean, it's the, it's the big clients that you've got to focus on for your business sake. And the thing about it is, is that we've got to think about what's really important to this business that we call life. And you know what? It isn't your job. It isn't how much money you make. It's not how good you are in athletics. It's not how smart you are. All that stuff's going to fade away. If you want to make good investments, just like in a businessman has to think wisely about his business, then you are going to make investments in heaven. Because those things will never fade away. They're incorruptible. That's the inheritance that we have. And that's why we ought to be storing up our treasures in heaven. And I know that many of us right now are so focused on the things of this life that we aren't contemplating eternity at all. That the, the things of God are just not even a focus in our life. They're not even probably given more than a thought on Sunday. And yeah, we all have to work. and We all have to make money. We have to provide. But the thing is, is that we don't need to be consumed with those things. And it's so easy for us to be consumed with the inheritance of this life that we lose sight of the inheritance that we have reserved in heaven for us. Where's your focus been? Where's my focus been of late? Has it been on this life? Has it been on the inheritance of this life? Or has it been on eternal things? Because one day, one day we're all going to pass from this life to the next. And all of the things that you're so freaked out about right now are not even going to matter anymore. That thing that is just driving you mad, that thing that has got you so freaked out, that thing that is just so worrisome to you, that's so huge, that's so big, it's not even going to be an issue at all. Have you ever thought about that? You know, when, when you have little kids and, and, and they make a big deal out of stuff that's not a big deal at all, you know, like uh, the fact that you know they can't have a, a lollipop or something right before dinner, and I mean, oh my gosh, the world is going to come to an end. Or, you know, they can't watch that Barney video for the 40th time in a row because, you know, you want to watch the Mariners or something, you know. Oh, the world is good. I mean, and you just look at that and you go, man, this is so stupid. And I think that's what God looks at in our life. And I don't think he says it's stupid because God's a lot nicer than we are. But I, I think he looks at it and just like, come on, it's not that big of a deal. It's all going to work out. I've got my hand on your life. In fact... You're headed for eternity where this isn't even going to be an issue at all. Just like the other day, you know, I got this call. We're doing a, a, a little remodel at our house, and I got this call from a contractor. And, you know, make a long story short, the guy burns me, right? And, um, and so it really ticked me off. And I saw some growth in my life at least, you know. But, and, and I handled it well, and I hung up the phone. But the guy's got all of his stuff at my house. And so I thought, you know, you're a trusting dude. Because if I wasn't a nice guy, I would just burn all of your stuff right now. Either that or I would just start tossing it out in the highway. What are you going to do? It's on my property, right? And I got just so focused on that. And I was looking at his stuff. And I was like, man, I'm going to chainsaw it. I'm going to burn it. You know, and then, and then the Lord just started speaking to my heart. You know, like, Ryan, you're getting worked up about this. Forget it. It's not that big of a deal. Let, let it go. You know, okay, it's going to put you back a couple weeks. Yeah, the guy's being ridiculous, but just let it go. It's not that big of a deal. And you just kind of, you, you, you almost have to step outside of, you know, the situation and really look at it through the lens of eternity and go, this isn't a big deal. 
Because we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. You know when you know that something's coming like good news? And you got good news on the horizon. You know, maybe maybe you're going to get to go to a sporting event, you know, and, and you're going to get really awesome seats right you know, right on the court or right on the field or, or maybe you know that you've got some big check coming in the mail or you got some opportunity, right? Hey, nothing matters during that time, you know? I mean, the whole world's falling apart and you know, hey, I got blazer tickets right on the floor next week, you know? Everything's just falling apart around you, but, but you got that good news that's waiting, right? Are you like that? Because I'm like that. And it's like, ah, yeah, no big deal. You know, I just slough off stuff Andrea says, you know. No worries at all. I mean, I, whatever's coming, right? Hey, look, we got some good stuff coming. Just slough it off. Don't worry about it. We have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may write to us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com or if you'd like to contact us by mail you may do so at P.O. Box 378 Prineville, Oregon 97754 Thank you for listening and God bless.